namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhassa namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhassa namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhassa buddham dhammam sangham namasami So today's talk is uh, announced as uh, uh, Don't Get Low, Let Go. Uh, I didn't choose it, it's kind of uh, was handed to me. This is what you got to speak on. So letting go is... Uh, something that in our tradition is uh, talked quite a lot and uh, in the traditions or in the uh, lineages you can say uh, more focused on the suttas you won't hear much of that so letting go is something that uh, Ajahn Chah was uh, talking quite uh, quite a lot about and uh, I know that because Ajahn Sumedho was talking about it a lot. And uh, there is a famous uh, uh, quote that uh, attributed to Lumpocha, which is uh, which goes like, uh, "If you let go a little, you have a, a little relief or a little peace." If you let go a lot, you will have a lot of peace. And if you let go completely, you have complete peace. So it's something that uh, we need to uh, investigate in our lives and uh, apply. Obviously, letting go assumes some kind of uh, action or some kind of doing although I prefer to see it as an attitude, attitude that we adopt rather than uh, something we actually actually actively do. And uh, it's quite common for people to, to kind of keep asking, what, what did he actually mean? What do you mean by saying letting go? How to let go? I would like to let go, but I don't know how. And uh, I remember once Ajahn Sumedha told us about uh, um, a woman who was telling him, I can't uh, let go because uh, I love my children. I can't just uh, get rid of them. And uh, so he, he said, well, that's not what I mean. <laughs> so what is meant by letting go and uh, I understand it uh, as uh, we try not to hold on to things not only things uh, material things but generally we try not to hold on attachment is a cause of uh, suffering and uh, if you think of uh, 
attachment or clinging. Clinging is a nice word, you know, like you hold on to something. The image that comes to mind is uh, one of uh, kind of uh, holding quite kind of uh, stiffly, you know, out of uh, fear of losing, desire to keep. And uh, so that that sort of a grip um, manifests as tension. Even if we try to hold on to something physical, yeah, like a um, well, something you kind of don't want to lose, yeah. So you pick up a little rock or a big rock, uh, kind of nice, and you think, well, it would be would look nice in my garden. And then, uh, so you pick up and carry it, but it's heavy and it's uh, it's awkward, and uh, but you keep carrying it because you want it. So the suffering of carrying it is something that uh, a result of you clinging to this this rock. And the uh, same thing goes to things are less uh, less material. Perhaps, uh, well, uh, obvious obvious thing is our uh, relationships and uh, uh, position. Something that, uh, you know, friendships. <laughs> the way I am uh, seen by others, we want to be uh, liked, we want to be respected, we want to uh, be loved, and uh, not just by anyone, but uh, particular people. And um, we fear of losing it. We fear losing what is dear to us. And so we hold on to it. So how to let go then? And uh, this is something that, uh, say, when we contemplate Four Noble Truths about uh, uh, suffering and origin, desire being origin of suffering, and uh, letting go of desire or Cessation of desire, abandoning of desire, leads to cessation of suffering. Yeah, so cessation of desire leads to cessation of clinging, attachment, holding on, and that leads to cessation of suffering. It's uh, It seems to be quite uh, straightforward, quite uh, obvious to us. But then... Uh, the doing of it, or what actually am I supposed to do? How do I let go? Even uh, something that is quite obvious to us, like uh, bad habits, for example, addictions, or like toxic relationships, people, uh, find themselves into how do you let it go? How do you get out of it? And uh, 
basically you need to investigate the attachment you need to actually look at it why am i holding on to it and uh, allow it allow it to be first rather than trying to push it away allow it to be allow it to manifest and uh, investigate it and pretty soon we will see that uh, as a cause for clinging is the desire desire as a hunger as a craving hunger is a good uh, or craving is a good uh, word because uh, we can desire things just out of kind of a whim you know oh, it would be nice to have this whole painted blue with the stars on it but uh, hunger is something that quite uh, threatening to us it's uh, threatening our existence and so it's serious so we can't just just kind of uh, drop it so we go to through this investigation we go to craving for existence craving to be craving for sense pleasures craving for being and uh, craving for not being for things to be different for the world to be different we mostly think of ourselves as uh, good people and we don't want to cause any harm to anyone and uh, we want to live uh, peacefully and happy and so we expect that uh, in return the world will be nice to us because uh, because i deserve it i don't do any harm so this is the thought that we need to also investigate realizing that uh, the world is not going to be fair life is not going to be fair to us or to anybody else and uh, those who do good may not uh, actually live uh, long and prosperous lives this is not to to make make it sound like some 
negative, but uh, this is uh, inviting us to look at uh, reality rather than how we would like things to be. So, at the end of the day, we will find I want it to be this way. And uh, there is a suffering arising from that. When we look at the scriptures, the suttas, we don't find many letting go kind of words there. But all of the scriptures, all of it is uh, the, the theme of uh, relinquishment, of uh, abandoning, of putting down, turning away, disenchantment is very strong. It's not something that we start our practice with. This is also needs to be actually said, because when we start with this, Dhamma puts away, puts us off, sorry, puts us off as something negative, as a teaching that leads to death or something, disappearance. You just disappear into Nibbana. It's a teaching that uh, comes uh, in the right time in our in our spiritual life. We need to grow grow up to actually be able to understand it, to appreciate it. But uh, certainly, we start our practice say, uh, generosity, virtue, meditation, mindfulness. So this is the general uh, invitation to start to practice with. And generosity is something that is understood as charity sometimes, a lot of the time. Like uh, you find someone who needs uh, help and then you help them kind of uh, help to help them to get on with life and uh, make them happy and uh, in return you will receive some kind of a reward for that whether up in the heavens or right now here through you feeling good about yourself being happy being respected you know <coughs> but uh, I remember reading about uh, in the suttas, reading about generosity, and the Buddha was talking about um, the ways of giving that are most beneficial. And giving to help others is actually not the, the highest. 
and uh, the highest is giving as a spiritual practice. When we don't give because uh, feeling sorry for someone, but we give as a renunciation. Not like we give something away that we actually need, but uh, we, we, are, we are reducing the load that we carry in this life. We are learning to put things down, to, to do with less. It goes quite opposite to our normal conditioning. But uh, it's actually doesn't take long to 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 find out when I own something, I own say, a property, a house or something. Yes, I own the house, but also the house owns me. So I can't just forget about it and uh, I can't uh, go away and do what I like. I have to take care of it. And it doesn't need to be anything big, it can be something quite, uh, you know, like an old shoes maybe that we keep because uh, they were comfortable for many years. So, relinquishment is uh, doing, uh, like having less, relinquishment is, uh, it's not something that we, again, just like with letting go, we can just do. It has to come through, basically all of it is in the mind. So it has to come through us seeing the unsatisfactory kind of reality of it. Seeing that it's actually more hustle than worth. Disenchantment, as opposed to being enchanted, being in love with, uh, I don't know, whatever, like like being a monk. It's uh, quite a unique uh, way of being.
everyone uh, thinks that you are a good person just by default you don't have to prove it everyone's trying to be nice to you expects uh, some wisdom But it's not a, it's not something to to hold on to. It's not something to kind of uh, like a role, like hold on, holding on to a role that I have to uh, prove all the time that uh, I actually uh, fit in that image that you have about the monks or about me, you know. It can be quite, uh, well, I'm sure you know, like whatever roles you have, you know, whether father or mother or profession, always having to play that role and to be kind of good at it is quite a burden. Almost uh, can be tyrannical. So we use those roles not uh, doesn't mean that we doesn't mean that I have to stop being a monk to uh, to not suffer you know it's just that the way we we hold those roles the way we hold them, not uh, not grabbing it not uh, holding on to it but uh, Recognizing that, well, that's how things developed, and uh, out of uh, options that I had in my life, this is uh, the most beneficial one. And if you see that uh, your position is uh, is actually beneficial for you. You actually find it quite uh, spiritually satisfying. You have no reason to to change it. Spiritually, I mean, for our heart, you know, for our something that we say, your inner being or whatever. <clears throat> So it's like like that mother. You don't have to send your children away to to let them go. It's, uh, uh, you have you have duty to take care of them while they need you, and then uh, when they don't, they will disappear. They will go off, and only come when they want. If you try to pull them back and. Uh, keep calling them, the more distant they want to be from you. And the more you will suffer. 
as I said, it's uh, something that uh, happens in the mind. It's not, uh, or in the heart. It's not uh, something that we do. It's, uh, it's an attitude. And attitude is informed by our understanding of uh, uh, value of things, of how things are. And uh, basically our wisdom. The older you live, the your kind of priorities tend to shift a bit. Like things that were not so important becomes actually important. And the uh, other way around. Something that seemed to be so dear to you is uh, worthless. You wouldn't look a second time at it. This is an example of uh, how wisdom works. It actually shows the value of things, the value of uh, what we experience, experiencing. And uh, wisdom doesn't really come by itself, as uh, the good old saying uh, says, Sometimes old age comes alone. So we need to we need to actually do something. And uh, that doing is uh, investigation, okay? Like looking at uh, not just looking at everything, but uh, looking at uh, what you experience as uh, dear to you. What is dear to you? What you carry around? What you hold on to? So the suggestion is not to, like knowing that uh, we are holding on to something, not to try to push it away, thinking I want, I need to let go, but actually looking at it. looking at uh, the thing to see the value of it. And uh, why are you giving that value to, to whatever it is? Usually it is something that uh, identifies us, like makes, makes me what I am, my, my beliefs, my conditioning, my sense of myself. There is a quite uh, famous uh, also from quote from the Buddha. Someone asked him, why, why do people quarrel and argue and uh, take sticks and hit each other with sticks and stones? And he said, well, Lay people value material uh, things. So, over material things, over money basically, they take uh, 
sticks and stones and start hitting each other and killing each other. And uh, monks, they hold on to views, so their views are dear to them. So over their views they take sticks and stones and start <laughs> hitting each other. And uh, here in Amaravati, we try not to go uh, too far that way. So we try to stay civilized and keep our views to ourselves. But um, that's the just one of the interesting observations that uh, that the Buddha made actually. What we identify with, what we see as uh, my worth, this is what I am. And to, to undermine that uh, uh, value, you can say, that we give, or that uh, attitude, or that uh, uh, view, we practice uh, uh, a recollection of impermanence, a recollection on the unsatisfactoriness. There are benefits and there are drawbacks in, uh, in every situation, in every phenomena, you can say. We cling to them because we see the, the benefits, the pleasure, the happiness. As I said, like uh, being a monk, uh, I have your attention. And, uh, People tend to think that you are a nice person and, you know, what not. But everything has its drawbacks. Everything has its... Uh, so to understand a phenomena, you need to look at how it arises, what is it, uh, what conditions it. And then uh, what sort of uh, uh, benefits or what sort of uh, happiness it gives you. And then uh, look at what sort of drawbacks it has. This is all very general, very sort of... Uh, kind of applies to everyone. And uh, sometimes we, we want to know more about my particular situation. You know, like why, uh, how do I not suffer in my life? Whether we have a professional life or, or you know, family is more important or whatever. But it doesn't matter where we are, investigation is the uh, what actually 
gives uh, wisdom chance to arise. Looking at uh, what is dear to me, investigating. Like uh, I remember when I when I just came here, it was sort of my. I always had it in the back of my mind. If I suffer, I'm holding on to something. There's something that I'm holding on. What is it? What is it so dear and precious that I'm holding on to? And then when you see what you hold on to, then the next question is, is it really just what you see or is there more to it? And then naturally, as we see life, see phenomena as, as it really is, in both sides, the pleasant and unpleasant, that's when uh, disenchantment arises. Disenchantment is a... Well, it wasn't as, uh, as actually great as I thought it will be. Thinking of my kind of own examples is... Uh, now, I have to apologize, but uh, say if you go to uh, like a party in the evening and you find a, you meet a beautiful girl and you're lucky to actually uh, spend time with her, and the next day you look at her and think, oh dear, like, how could I? And then you don't want to see them again. Well, I don't want to finish here because it's kind of... <laughs> I, think, I think an important point in, in this whole uh, letting go is uh, we think that uh, bad things should not belong to our life. We want to let go everything that uh, kind of uh, is... Uh, it's not right, it's not fair, you know, and uh, uh, and you want to keep the good things. And we think that we will be happy if uh, uh, everyone is fair and uh, keeps recycling. Drive mindfully and so on and so on. If, if I do good things, then I have a good life. But it's not always true. It's good to have to do good things, but uh, essentially we need to be prepared that uh, bad things will be happening to us. So letting go of our expectations, our want, 
basically be honest with ourselves. That's uh, that's what we need to do. So often people get uh, even depressed, you know, saying that I've been uh, making merit for many years, or I've been a good person for a long time. Why, why is this happening to me? So this is suffering. Look at it, because because I thought that if I only do good things, my life will be good. And uh, that's uh, not like that. It doesn't mean you should stop doing good things. But uh, wisdom is what cuts the suffering off. All right. If I carry on, I think I'll start repeating myself. Um, we can have a break. I don't know, it's uh, 20 to 3. What time is the tea served? At 3. So, if you want to... At what time do we meet after? Half past 3? <laughs> I think if we keep... If you go away now, and half past three, you will be all gone by then. So, <laughs> I'm, not, uh, I'm not holding on to you, but <laughs> if you, we still have some time before tea, so if you want to ask some questions, I'm happy to, to try to answer. There is a microphone over there in front of uh, our orange friend. Why is that? Uh, yeah, kind of. Well, thinking is something that uh, <coughs> is like a monologue that happens through, all, through the day, more or less. And uh, thinking is uh, basically thoughts, comment on what we experience. And we give so much, uh, uh, we identify with thinking. 
Yeah, thinking is me, basically. That's what we, what it feels like. I'm the thinking. So because of that, because this thing, thinking actually always, uh, whatever we experience, it starts commenting. That's why it's very difficult to actually have a perspective. Because uh, uh, in a way it's like uh, thinking is like binding you to or us, yeah, to, to what we experience. So the to look at uh, desire, at craving, we need to stop uh, giving attention to thinking. And this is something that comes with practice. Usually, when people kind of come and start meditating, sooner or later, then uh, they realize thinking is uh, kind of uh, goes and then uh, kind of slows down or stops and then starts again, and and uh, they realize that actually it's a uh, it's just like it's like a sound, you know, or like a, it's it's a phenomena that uh, happens. It's not necessarily me, but. Um, Basically, it's uh, learning to give attention to to different uh, parts of our experience, and uh, desire, if it is, especially if it is uh, strong, is accompanied by excitement. There's some kind of excitement, whether it's a negative desire, like to like we become. Uh, Kind of uh, frustrated or something, you know, or positive, and that excitement we can see, we can actually experience. So that's what uh, mindfulness of the body is good for. The practice of mindfulness of the body, like giving attention to the body, you know, like when we sit and walk and uh, go somewhere. We try to practice mindfulness of the body. When we do that, we we see excitement as as uh, like a fire, you know, like a uh, maybe like vibration or something. And uh, so we know, oh, there's uh, there is something happening here. Sometimes desire is quite uh, kind of quiet, you know, it just creeps in and it's more difficult to notice. And you only notice it when you already start suffering, when you're already actually, then you see, oh, and this, this happens, I think, more, more often. And that's why I say, when, uh, when you suffer about whatever, when you suffer, Rather than uh, giving attention to thoughts, ask yourself, what is it I'm holding on? What is it that is dear to me? What do I want? What do I want in this situation? And uh, the answer may be sometimes quite surprising that we didn't actually see it. Yeah, like I, I, want, I want to go on a holiday. 
and uh, they won't let me. No, they, they asked me to go to work. And I already had this image of me being somewhere else. And because thoughts, they tend to kind of uh, revolve around what's happening now. And the desire may be crept in, in the past, you know, when we didn't notice. So we, we don't know that it's there. So that's the answer. We try to learn not to give so much attention to thoughts and more attention to the body. And then we have to start where we are, you know. Sometimes, uh, sometimes you can't see desire until you already suffer. So that's the... Often desires actually are quite uh, kind of straightforward and uh, uh, maybe naive even. Like I don't want to get old or something. I remember something that I often say to people. I was uh, an agarika here during the winter retreat and uh, I had quite a good time, you know, very peaceful, and uh, I felt so kind of uh, <clears throat> detached from and kind of free, and and uh, walked into the bathroom to you know, brush my teeth or something, and I looked at myself in the mirror, and I noticed that I was losing hair, and I thought, oh, I'm losing hair. <laughs> It was kind of uh, funny. You would think monks don't uh, hold on to their hair. <laughs> Do you have any more questions? There is a microphone waiting. There is a on your left. Thank you very much. Yeah, um, I want to ask about letting go. It's I find it really hard. I'm very codependent, and I'm working on it. But I find it very hard to let go of people that are suffering, that are alone, and even though they're not kind to me <laughs> and not nice um, I feel it's not guilt I don't know what it is so that's my my big issue is how do you let go of people when you know that they're struggling and they're on their own and I'm a humanitarian I'd like to be there in some way as a friend even and my heart wants to but my head's saying no mm. so what would you suggest 
Well, we also need to take care of ourselves. We know our capacity and we know whether what we do is actually good for them. Because uh, it's like you can take a horse to water, but you can't make a drink. And uh, you want to help them, but uh, they wouldn't maybe see it as uh, you're wanting to help. Maybe they would feel that you are being nosy or something. Or So rather than uh, sacrificing your, you know, Like having to face that sort of uh, uh, reaction. You have a, you know, a metaphor yourself, you know, like, because having, being kind means be kind to all, all beings. And uh, if uh, we can help, we help. If we cannot help, then uh, Equanimity is the right uh, state of mind that we develop. I think, uh, I think also because um, I try to do it with unconditional love, and um, but then I I'm too scared to contact them even as a friend because I'm so scared of being rejected. So it's not unconditional love because I have an expectation, obviously, for them. And so I, 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 I'm trying to find the balance of even just saying, hi, how are you? Mm. Um, and, and accepting they may just reject me. <laughs> and, but <laughs> this is where I struggle because <laughs> I don't want any more rejection. I've had enough. So yeah, um, it's trying to learn that I can give that and say, hi, are you okay? And um, I haven't seen you for a while, but I hope you're okay. And leaving it and trusting that they may say something horrible or not get back to me at all. Yeah. And then I'll have to st suffer rejection again. So <laughs> it's really difficult sometimes, especially the way we're living in the world at the moment, to, to yeah. keep getting hurt. Yeah, it's never it's never just one thing, or not not often it's not one thing, but there is a whole kind of uh, combination of uh, but essentially, if uh, if my intention to to help someone is uh, pure, I'm not expecting anything in return. Then uh, I try. If they don't take it. I would say, well, I've done what I could, and uh, I move on. And then uh, they, what they, what happens to them, it's not up to me. I have done my, my kind of bit, what I could. And if later, if later, I realize that I could have done more, I don't need to feel guilty about that, because uh, thinking back. I was different, you know, I, back then I didn't know that I can give more, now I know. So this, this is something to do with the past, when we can actually put down regrets that, uh, well, I could have helped my mother or something, but uh, back then 
I didn't have that uh, knowledge or wisdom to do that. So I can uh, let it go. I can forgive myself. Can... So, sorry, how do you get to the level where you're just giving altruistically? Where you, in the moment you're doing it, you think you're doing it from the heart. But you're not, because if you were, it wouldn't hurt when they reject you. So how do you get to that level of being able to give without expectation? Because I'd really love to understand that. It's uh, when you are sort of self-contained, when you can, when you're kind of satis not satisfied, but uh, I'll be satisfied, when you don't need anything, when you are actually ready to face whatever comes your way, you're ready to let go whatever, you know, then you don't need anything. You don't need anyone's approval. You don't need to, you know, anyone's gratitude. And uh, then, then it's, it's just like that. You can be generous without... Uh, uh, without any kind of things attached to it. And uh, to to arrive to that uh, being self-contained, maybe it's not the right word, but that's how I kind of can, can say that. Basically, uh, there is nothing out there valuable to you that... Uh, that you need or want. That uh, every all all that you value is within yourself. And uh, it's like you, you close your eyes and uh, you live in peace. Or you can keep your eyes open and you live in peace. You don't need to, doesn't really matter what happens uh, somewhere else. Thank you. I'm not there yet. <laughs> yeah. But it's it's an interesting kind of thought. But uh, life is a paradox, you know. And uh, there is a saying. I don't remember where it comes from. But uh, to understand yourself, you have to forget yourself. And uh, to appreciate life or appreciate the world to actually enjoy the world you need to let it go you don't uh, you don't hold on to it or parts of it that you like it's like saying that uh, when we are not afraid to die we live fully Uh, do we want to have a tea break or we want to? It's uh, three o'clock now. All right. I think I believe tea is uh, what in the kitchen. Or? Yeah. So the kitchen is uh, that way. 
if you come out, then you go to the right and to the left. And uh, let's meet in 15 minutes. Yeah, 3.15. Those of you who have questions to ask, <laughs> not, not everyone has to be here. Thank you. Thank you for your talk today. My question is, um, is the approach towards letting go of uh, aversions the same as attachments? Because it seems it's more subtle the, the way people are, or I myself particularly, have averts, aversions to things rather than um, hanging on to something. We always want to get rid of certain things. <laughs> is it a different approach or similar as in watching yourself. should be using microphone too. <laughs> um, states of mind, yeah, like we have, we, we don't want, yeah, like some certain, like, uh, nobody likes to feel kind of uh, stupid or uh, frightened, you know. Nobody likes uh, being around rude people, for example or something that, basically something which is unpleasant. But uh, essentially it's uh, like a, if, you, if you talk about like a hand, palm of a hand, you know, one side is letting go and one, another side is letting be. And um, so for things that uh, tend to provoke aversion in us, we practice uh, acceptance. And um, we can use, maybe I didn't uh, practice all that much, that, uh, that sort of thing. But uh, uh, we use uh, thinking about, uh, you know, because something is here, you know, it uh, appeared or it came to be like that because of the, some conditions, some situations, especially about people, like someone who is, uh, who is rude or who is uh, uh, unpleasant or stupid, you know. 
someone who irritates. And uh, if you think about, uh, if I think about them, that uh, they didn't choose to be like that. It's, uh, that's how things developed, because of uh, whatever situation they have grown up. Or, and uh, so that helps to accept them, to, to let them. It doesn't, it doesn't mean that uh, I start like them, like liking is different. But uh, accepting. And in the same in the same way, we direct towards ourselves. You know, like things that we don't like in, say, I don't like in myself. It doesn't mean that uh, I kind of give up on trying to make, kind of, or trying to be better. But um, I'm uh, not being uh, uh, heavy or hard on myself. You know, like not being. Uh, uh, tyrannical, maybe, but more accepting that. Well, this thinking about uh, how how I grew up, how I was, uh, you know, educated, uh, the things I done. That's I'm the result of uh, the life, you know, the life I lived, and uh, it could not be otherwise. It just had to be like that. So. Investigation, you know, uh, there is a uh, in the, in the scriptures, in the suttas, the Buddha is talking about uh, uh, things that uh, or phenomena that uh, we tend to like, we tend to be attracted to, charmed. We are charmed by beauty and pleasure, and, and uh, so we practice. Uh, looking for that which is not attractive, that which is uh, not pleasant in them, that, that side of the phenomena which is, that is not actually to, to even it out, to balance it, to understand it in its uh, fullness. Like I, I like to think that uh, everything comes at the cost. You know, if I uh, if I choose to do this, yeah, or choose to to go there, yes, maybe I will have uh, uh, pleasant experiences, but uh, it comes at the cost, which means there is also some unpleasant experiences along the way. So the practice is uh, to to look in what is pleasant, what is attractive, for what is not attractive. And uh, the same goes for what is not attractive. In what is not attractive, to see what is actually uh, good or positive about it. How how would we apply it in uh, in our lives? I guess we just need to find out. But uh, say with people, is uh, 
to some degree it's a commitment to uh, being uh, to not causing harm you like say someone's being difficult and my almost like instinct is to to revenge you know to to be rude to them or to to somehow put them down and uh, i remind myself that no i actually want to be harmless and uh, not just because i have to as a monk but actually as a as an individual as someone who uh, like a buddhist maybe or so i try to to hold on you know not to not to do that and then uh, also contemplating you know the the way they act is uh, perhaps they are deluded they see me as a threat they are you know like being caught in their own greed or something or aversion so coming to kind of understanding that uh, they are the way they are because they could not be different and uh, I can live with that just like I live with uh, you know like every every home needs a toilet a toilet is not exactly the place the most kind of uh, favorite but it's uh, it has to be there it's not the most pleasant place and um, like ajahn smedo used to say there is always a, a worm in the apple a snake in the garden there is always something in the paradise which is not uh, doesn't we feel like it shouldn't belong there but actually it's is is how it is that's how it's supposed to be that's how the world is Thank you. Mm. Yeah, this this kind of words letting go sometimes sound like you got to you got to kind of drop it. Oh, don't be so angry, just drop it. Yeah, right. If I could do it like that. Don't be so negative. Just let it go. That would make me even more angry. Yeah, it's uh, it's our idealism and uh, wanting things to be you know nice or <clears throat> right sometimes i see someone throwing away something that i think is valuable i can get quite hot <laughs> where are you taking it put it back It's um, 
practice is a kind of a, includes all of our life and uh, all of our being. And uh, it doesn't matter where you start, you always have to, you kind of start picking up other things and include them in your, uh, in, in the practice. And then they see how they, you see how they relate, it starts making sense. And then eventually it becomes quite simple. But in the meantime, you notice that uh, the way you see things have changed, your, your view, the way, you know, the, the belief, So that's what. Uh, that, that's why the eightfold path starts with the right view. It's uh, something that uh, sooner or later in our practice we come to It's on. Is it? Is mm. it on? Yeah. Okay. I was just thinking about how sometimes how hard it is to let go of something, even though you don't want to feel like it. You keep on feeling like it. Do you think we keep holding on to feelings about something, even if we don't like it? Because if we let go of the feelings, we let go of the self. Yeah. There's a there's a part of. Uh, Partly is our identity, like what we what we feel to be. Even know. if it's unpleasant, it's yeah. better than not being. Well, usually what happens is that we feel we replace something with something else, and uh, that's the the easiest way to to do it. And uh, so we replace good habits, uh, bad habits, with good habits. For example, and because uh, nature doesn't really uh, like emptiness, there is some something has to be filled. And uh, we can. Uh, I can't really think of any example of that may relate to you know, say if you have a bad habit yeah of some kind of like addiction of some sort, you kind of understand that it's uh, it's really bad for you, but uh, just stopping is is not uh, uh, even if you try it just doesn't you can't. And um, so then the practice would be to, well, to do it mindfully first, <laughs> so that uh, you can see why there is that uh, attachment. What is it that being satisfied with uh, 
that uh, activity. You know, whether drinking, smoking, whatever. There is something, some kind of a hunger being satisfied with that. Even we know that it's actually uh, destructive. And uh, I think pretty much all of us can uh, uh, have seen it in their lives around, maybe someone you know, that people genuinely want to stop. And uh, <coughs> someone not long ago, someone talked, spoke with me about uh, their addiction to drugs and uh, the way they overcame that. And uh, he recommended me to read the book Alcoholics Anonymous, which is almost 100 years old now. And uh, so I did kind of, I didn't look uh, everything, but uh, I looked through it, and I found it quite interesting, actually, that uh, they recommend not recommend, but they actually insist that uh, you can't just stop. You have to uh, replace your old self with a new self, which is uh, uh, with a religious belief, basically. And... Uh, And then uh, one of one of the the, the clients or the, the man says, "Well, I, I don't really believe in God. You know, it doesn't. It's not going to work for me." And so his friend says, "Well, look, just uh, you don't have to believe in God that uh, we all talk about, or that you can you you find in a church. But uh, if you think about it, perhaps there is something beyond material of some sort." And uh, you can kind of describe it to yourself and just uh, just believe in that. That will be your personal God. But it's essential for your, for your life as a person to have that. So that you're not the... You're not alone. You're not, you're not someone who kind of relies only on yourself. But uh, you can ask kind of for help. And uh, not only that, but uh, you actually have to help others because it's an essential part of practice, part of, uh, uh, not the practice, but how they call it, healing, to actually help others. So that's why they meet together and they talk about uh, their experiences and uh, and whatnot. And... Uh, and even they say, when you are at your low, when you really kind of feel like you can't hold on anymore, you really want to go and get drunk, this is the time when you need to go find a friend who is in the same situation and try to talk to him to get him off. So in a way, you become sort of a, like a medium that uh, you help others and through this, through this, you are helped. So that's basically, to me, that sounds like you replace 
your old uh, sense of self of who you are uh, weak addicted uh, kind of a helpless uh, you replace it with a different self the self that actually is uh, uh, you know positive helpful you know try to help others and uh, religious <clears throat> I forgot now what the question was. <laughs> I can't get to go on about. Yeah, it's uh, it's difficult. It's, it's not difficult. I think it's uh, probably impossible just to just to cut off and uh, not have anything. Uh, to replace it so the practice that uh, leads to realization of not self is uh, again it's uh, it's based in wisdom in investigation but it's not the practice that is uh, a uh, result of uh, kind of giving up things or, or letting go or kind of uh, dropping dro- dropping off you know and uh, pushing away or anything like that like uh, you see the teaching of the buddha is so uh, sublime that it's easy to fall in one of the extremes and uh, the extreme of uh, kind of self mortification and self indulgence and self mortification would be denying oneself um so i heard uh, not once i heard that uh, some people understand practice as you have to get rid of everything which is uh, which belongs to you and uh, which is you so you kind of basically kill yourself it's like suicide not a uh, literal but sort of and uh, clearly this is misunderstanding of uh, of the teaching and uh, that misunderstanding is uh, is not new even in the scriptures we read that uh, buddha's contemporaries were accusing him of uh, being uh, I don't remember how how it was talked about but uh, basically someone who destroys self and uh, his reply was well there's nothing to destroy <laughs> self is not there <laughs> but uh, to come to that you just need to see it so it's not actually destruction of anything it's not letting go of anything or negating anything it's a it's a realization it's realizing the the nature impersonal nature of uh, of life and so in that sense again like we come back to the so same sort of thing that i wanted to to convey during my talk letting go is not something that we give up it's uh, 
we 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 give up uh, craving we give up illusion yeah we give up uh, uh misunderstanding through through seeing how it really is so the the acceptance comes from understanding that it could not be different you know like we are talking about meta we are talking about accepting that which is not pleasant we see that well it could not be different that's that's how it came to be because of all the previous history that's how it is and uh, holding on is uh, like not uh trying to prevent something from manifesting or trying to keep something or is a result of a delusion basically like me trying to uh make the world the way i want it to be to come to this you can't just kind of uh, listen to it or read about it to come to this understanding you need to have clarity and uh seeing comes through like paying attention paying attention to uh, like phenomena like uh, what we actually experience and uh, especially the uh suffering clinging desire feeling so we we see how it manifests how it arises if we have clarity if we actually pay attention with clarity clarity comes from being content being peaceful if our mind is preoccupied with something if we live we have concerns or fears or worried about something that clarity is missing that's why monastic life is so suited because everything is taken care of we don't need to think about where am i going to be like next year or something and the uh, prices of uh, electricity maybe maybe i won't be living in comfort but uh, there is uh, still kind of uh, uh, the basic needs are covered so we don't need to need to think about it that's why even even as uh, lay people we can just uh, kind of uh, simplify our lives and have less things to worry about and uh, do good things and that would lead to our hearts being uh, peaceful content and peaceful and so the, that clarity 
the ease of the heart, the peacefulness of the heart, makes the mind clear. And uh, paying attention to the right things would lead to that realization. This is, uh, this is how it is. For some people it's uh, quick and easy, for some people it takes a long time, but it doesn't matter. Is there anything else we want to talk about? There is a mic over there. Oh, thank you, Ajahn. So my question sort of regards, let's say, the path or pursuing of um, realization or liberation. Um, again, problem with the word pursuing, but I think you you understand what I'm trying to say in the monastic setting and in the non-monastic setting. And so I think it's fairly clear that the monastic setting provides this container where one is able to, um, let's say, jump in 100% without much of the distractions that are found outside of the gates. But I was wondering if you could speak to the advantages that um, you know exist outside of the gates in in terms of how they trigger us into into or push us into dukkha and therefore sort of offer offer an opportunity to reflect and and sort of use that as a field of inquiry on its own. I hope my question is more or less understandable. <laughs> Thank you. Well, with the, with the lay life, I think uh, most of... Uh, uh, obviously, like say, the advantages of being a lay person compared to a monastic that you have access to resources. You can actually do something with your money or you know, your skills or something. And uh, you can create something, create a, you can build a monastery or, or you know, a charity or whatever. Something, something that would be for your satisfaction and gives you joy. And uh, uh, the obvious thing, the obvious difference between, because we are celibate, and that means that uh, all our relationships are kind of staying on that level. Like, uh, you can say working relationship. Yeah, like, you know, kind of like, uh, you are sort of, you can be a friend, 
but only to certain to certain kind of uh, limit even if you know someone for many years there are still uh, very clear boundaries of uh, what you can say and uh, sort of how you may manifest your uh, sympathy or you know and that means that uh, everything that goes with uh, relationships all that business isn't is not there so i think in terms of uh, advantages of uh, monastic life and uh, obviously there are people who who live as uh, lay people perhaps like alone you know or uh, not not looking for uh, relationships but then when you're alone you are alone you only rely on yourself and uh, we are social uh, beings and uh, to to thrive to kind of grow to become stronger we need to in whatever area it is we need to be around people who are like us so so you have the clubs for example say if i was uh, interested in uh, modeling like make be making models of ships or something i would go for i would look for people who are interested in the same thing so we can talk and exchange and float our models in the in the bathtub or something and uh, with the uh, here so you have this club here monastic club but with lay people it's so much more different difficult difficult to find that kind of uh, uh friendship you can say or or community yeah even if you meet sometimes like once a week or something that's what the most commonly happens people have uh, some kind of meditation group and they meet once a week and then they go home and then they spend you know they all have their families and what not and so i would say if there is a opportunity to to come to a monastic community we should should not waste it because again that opportunity is 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 here now but then uh, it may change it may not be here anymore even the monastery is here but uh, i may be different you know like my my life may change something happens and uh, and that's it you know you are, you are trapped somewhere or whatever can i just um add to that so yes i think in my mind it's clear that you know what the monastic um sort of way offers in in, in those terms but sometimes i think about well that's actually easy way 
you know, you focus, you have your, your club of monks, you have everything prepared for you. So there's not much, let's say, dukkha. I know this is just an idea, right? So you, you still have to face yourself in those, in those uh, situations, which is a lot of dukkha, I guess. And the way that I think about it is that, okay, but outside of the monastery, you have all these kinds of relationships that are infinitely more complicated. Like you said, here you have a limit, but outside you don't have a limit. And exactly because of that complexity, there is more opportunity for wise reflection and, and, and to leverage these complications to grow more wise. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> uh, you haven't been monk yet. Monastic life is not as uh, straightforward and uh, uncomplicated. And uh, there are plenty of opportunities to have uh, difficult uh, relationships and just difficult people around and uh, opportunities to uh, to investigate the feelings like what is happening and uh, why am I suffering and what's happening with that person there it's it's uh, easier in some way that uh, uh, we are kind of committed to non-violence and whatnot. But actually, it's probably even more on the women's side. There is a quite complicated. <laughs> but on the men's side as well. You know, it's... Um, plenty of opportunities to to develop wisdom. But as I said, one of the sort of advantages is that you're pretty much sure that no one is going to hit you in the face or something like that. Although you hear about stories that happen sometimes, but generally it's, that's how it is. So, if we, if we are looking for difficulties to explore, this is good enough. Monastic life gives you enough difficulties to explore. And uh, don't uh, buy it more than you can chew. You know? Yeah, some, sometimes, uh, sometimes you wonder, people say, well, you monks have it easy, kind of, uh, but uh, the real practice is when you are a layperson. And, uh, but what happens often is, uh, say, monks have uh, been practicing for, as monks for a while, and then they decide to go to whatever reason, maybe ailing mother or something, and um, so they determined to practice as lay people. And within short time, they find that they can't do that. They just revert back to how it was before. Often they try to come back and, uh, if not ordain, at least spend some time in the monastery. But... Uh, 
I would say it's too too overwhelming for a, to practice as a layperson. Practice in what way? If you if you want to meditate like four hours a, a day, you can do it as a monk. But for a layperson, it's it's quite. If you want to. It's not like we meditate a lot, a lot, a lot. But uh, generally, our lives, because we have our discipline, so you're always quite uh, alert on uh, what is happening within you. And uh, so, when I when I speak about uh, investigating or looking at, being attentive to our cravings and our desires. Like what is happening in the? That's what I mean. <coughs> we ideally we are aware of that, pretty much non-stop, of what happens in the heart. Even if we may not appear like we are uh, all that mindful, you know, sometimes you. Uh, can appear quite actually sloppy, you know. Like, but uh, but that's the that's the uh, life. That's the practice. Sometimes you hear people say, "Well, I have arranged my life." I, I had we had someone here, a man. He said he retired. His wife now works, and he sits at home and meditates. And um, he said, well, I have it the uh, best of both. I'm, I live like a monk, but uh, my wife is cooking for me. <laughs> but I don't really know how... I think that kind of a situation is, can be quite fragile, you know. And uh, so his wife gets ill or leaves him, you know, finds somebody else, and that's the end of your paradise. I remember when I came, I was asking Lumpur Sumedha, saying, um, sometimes monks uh, or teachers, they, they encourage you to make your life difficult, to actually experience suffering, you know, to, to find uh, some difficulties, like physically, to, to put you under, yourself under some kind of uh, strain, Maybe like sleep on hard floor or whatever. What would you recommend? Because I myself wasn't wasn't sure, and he said, "Our life has enough difficulties. <laughs> just just practice with what you what is already there. Don't don't make it more difficult." Which I think is pretty wise. All right. So, I think we have uh, enough for today. And uh, I don't know what your uh, situation is, but uh, 
if you have chance to to come to to meditate formally retreats or like saturday afternoons or whatever or just come to stay in a monastery that's is quite actually helpful but otherwise uh, try to live your mind your life mindfully like uh, mindfully means attentive to the what you experience the 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 stress the stress the craving the attachments we have not to not to kind of become desperate or pushing it away but basically to understand what is happening sometimes it may feel kind of counterintuitive like if we want to get rid of some something is burning in us we want to take it off our shoulders but actually we need to move towards it to understand it and so once it's understood then it's no longer there <clears throat> okay okay thank you